0: From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Brian Walsh, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, January 14th. Today, I'm joined by our roundtable regulars to help us stake out the year ahead in impact investing and sustainable finance. Imogen Rose Smith is an Impact Alpha contributing editor. Hi, Imogen. Hi Brian. And David Bank is Impact Alpha's editor and CEO. Hello David.
1: Hello Brian
0: and Imogen and Happy New Year. Can we still say that? Uh, I think you can say it just this once. I think but that's it. No more after this. But before we get into our conversation, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. Solar power is attracting big investors to low-income communities. Reactivate the name of a joint venture between the impact investor Lafayette Square and the renewable energy developer Invenergy, plans to put up a half billion dollars for energy projects in low and moderate income neighborhoods. That follows a $100 million raise last week for Poseidon, which installs solar panels on homes and leases them back to homeowners to save money on their electric bills. Meanwhile, Block Power scored $30 million from Microsoft's Climate Innovation Fund, to decarbonize aging urban buildings in low to moderate income communities and even entire cities like Ithaca, New York. And speaking of Invenergy, Blackstone injected $3 billion into the renewables developer for large-scale clean energy projects, one of the largest investments ever made in renewable energy. In another mega-raise, Silicon Ranch secured $775 million for clean energy in rural communities. Silicon Ranch co locates its solar and battery arrays with regenerative agriculture to better sequester carbon and restore grasslands. This week on Impact Alpha, we heard from the Impact First family office, Kenny Arth, and the climate venture firm, Energy Impact Partners, who looked through their own portfolios for theses that will inform their investment decisions this year. Also on Impact Alpha, Dennis Price identified the strategic shifts underway in financial inclusion as global migration reaches record levels. And David Bank rounded up the increasing number of TV characters playing Impact Investors. David's conclusion? Impact Investing needs its own parody series on Netflix. And if you can't get enough of 2022 Impact Investing trend spotting, be sure to check out David's interview with Equilibrium Capital's Dave Chen, shared six themes institutional investors will be watching this year. That podcast will drop early next week. Now it's time for our featured conversation. I'm joined once again by our roundtable regulars, Imogen and David, for signals and markers that we should be looking at for this upcoming year to help make sense of the changing market in impact investing and sustainable finance. David, what's on your... Radar screen.
1: Well, we had some fun this week, Brian, with um, uh, the notion that impact investing is ready for its own, you know, parody series on Netflix, a la Silicon Valley or Succession or Billions. In fact, sometimes uh, some impact investors have made their way onto those shows already. But um, you know, there's kind of a sense that there's now become enough of a of a of an industry that it's worth poking fun at, and it's there's certainly quite enough. To poke fun at both, um, you know, uh, balloons to be punctured and, and and characters to be skewered. So um, we're 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 taking um, uh, pilot and script treatments for the for the parody series.
0: So satire is a, often a tool to help us arrive at a greater truth. Uh, so Imogen, what's a greater truth that you see on the on the horizon for impact
2: investing? I feel like the impact investment community already has its own satire. It's called the Key Man. Right, which was the book that was published last year around a bridge and the whole dysfunction that was that fund meltdown. And one of the things that that book really lampoons is this sort of philanthro capitalism and the idea of sort of the the great and the good puffing themselves up and thinking that they're wonderful and patting themselves on the back at Davos and you know while the world burns, right? And I think that that inherent hypocrisy that you know like it or not does lie at the heart of in particular impact investing and on the ESG side frankly as well with sort of public pension plans doing exactly the same thing you know patting themselves on the back while they go and invest in like oil pipelines by way (laughs) of example is you know when we talk about what to look for I think that untying that knot and you know, figuring out sort of what is the hypocrisy and what is the bullshit um, versus like what is effective and what is intentional and what can we really do to sort of correct the course that we globally are on. I think that's sort of amongst the major things that we need to look for and be addressing in 2022.
1: Can I jump in on, on a Because we've looked at that for a long time. And I will say in all full you know, disclosure and mea culpa that we were taken in as well early on by the grandiose rhetoric of Arif Nakvi, the, the brash, high-flying uh, founder of a barrage, which I think soared up to you know, $14 or $15 billion in assets before coming down in a you know, spectacular crash um, of fraud and misappropriation of funds. But I will say that the failure of Abraj was not the failure of the impact strategy that they had. The failure was good old-fashioned, you know, sticky fingers in the till. Um, so it's being used, and I and I love the book, and I and I and I think Simon and and Wilk uh, did a great job, you know teasing out the narrative, which was a spectacular story and worthy of, of cinematic treatment, as you say. Um, but I don't think it totally uh, negates the impact thesis. And, and, and one of the um, uh, things that's a neat plot twist on, on Abraj is that the fund, that um, the health fund, the global health fund that um, was the source of the original um, uh, misappropriation and, 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 the, and the undoing has gone to TPG rise um, in the restructuring, which itself lost its CEO to a scandal, which you've written about in several columns, Imogen, um, uh, Bill McGlashan went to prison, um, uh, pleading guilty to a charge related to the uh, Varsity Blues college admission scandal. So you had the fund from one fu- fund get transferred to, to to another fund, which had its own sort of parody-worthy plotline.
2: I disagree with you that. I agree with you. I mean, some of the fundamental problems with the barrage had to do with what appears to be, you know, fraudulent, allegedly fraudulent actions on the behalf of RF From what what I've read and what I understand, you know, he was sort of taking money out of the funds for, for personal use from very early on, and there were a series of red flags from an operational standpoint that, frankly, investors should have done better due diligence on. And some of their investments, particularly early on, were successful, but there were also a bunch of investments that weren't successful. And again, had you done any due diligence, you know, had, had investors done real due diligence, they should have seen that. And I think that Simon has made a good point in the past that like, I think one of the challenges uh, in impact investing is that when things go sideways, people don't like to talk about it. There's more pressure to on these investments and there isn't so there is there is more anxiety when they go wrong and I think again we need more honesty and more transparency around the challenges of investing in particular you know in the global south in more challenging deals um and what can be done you know when things don't go right and it's hard because, again, when you're investing, particularly when you're talking about investing with, you know, people who don't have a lot of money, how how easily that can tip over to being exploitative. And what do you do to prevent that? And how do you ensure that, that you act with integrity whilst also getting the returns that your investors require? It's, it's a very difficult place to be. And I think we don't talk about that enough.
1: I completely agree that there's a, a danger in um, shall we say you know breathing your own exhaust um, on, on this stuff, and that uh, one of the, the cautionary tales was how easily swayed uh, global investors were, and very sophisticated ones, as you said. I mean, Bill Gates and 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 many global you know development uh, banks and, and others that 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 should know better. Um, when they heard what they want to hear, they they opened up their checkbooks in a huge way without. Uh, uh adequate due diligence, a, a, as you said. So, so at the level of, you know, um, 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 gullibility and being played, um, I, I think there's obviously a, a, a huge lesson there. All I was just trying to rescue was the impact uh, thesis out of it.
0: I think that's a good transition point to one of the themes that i think is going to be resonant in 2022 and beyond as the impact and sustainable investing markets uh, mature is is the the rise of regulations right so that's going from a if you will a a self-regulated market where anybody could uh, put the impact investing label on themselves if they wanted to and you know in early days that, that was seen as Uh, a risk, if you will. And I think in more recent years it was used as a marketing opportunity. Uh, And I think now uh, more regulators are are looking at this more seriously and saying that perhaps self-regulation of the market uh, it doesn't it hasn't been as successful so far, and that it's time for uh, government regulations to step in. And I think you're seeing that first and foremost in the EU with the passage and now the adoption of the SFDR uh, new regulations that if you are marketing yourself as a sustainable fund that uh, you are actually living up to certain demonstrable, requirements of that. And I think that the UK government and the US government and some other governments around the world are looking at that regu- that type of regulation uh, very closely into seeing how it might impact how people market their funds. And so you can't just say that you're an impact investor and get a pass, uh, but now you have to actually demonstrate it in different ways.
1: That's actually a, a marker in its own way of the arrival, because the reason why it's being regulated now is because um, so much so much capital is flowing into these kind of ESG funds, and because um, there's kind of a halo effect over you know the sustainability businesses and and the and the low carbon transition businesses and the batteries and the EVs and and everything, and so now that it's attractive. Everybody's piling into it. Obviously, the regulators, you know, trying to, to get their claws in as well and make sure everything's kosher. But it's a function, the regulation itself is a function of the expansion and the growth.
2: So I have mixed views on the regulation, um, sort of particularly when it comes to the E in the ESG, which is where, you know, you're really seeing most a lot of the focus right now. You know, on the, the one hand, sort of regulation is desperately needed. And there is a lot of sort of, greenwashing, and product pushing. And on the other hand, I think that regulation runs the danger of stifling creativity, and that if you define an environmental strategy as a certain thing, then you, you limit what investors will do so you know is it an esg investment if when engine number one invests in exxon and does a shareholder engagement campaign to get the board to change if you define esg as being not investing not investing in fossil fuels then arguably that isn't an esg investment right like how how narrow do we make that definition And, and then what will happen is if the definition is too narrow the people who are doing some of these kind of investing strategies will just call themselves something else. And that will be a whole new carve out of the investing industry. But if allocators are being told, no, you have to invest in these narrow buckets, those other strategies, some of which might actually be more beneficial, will potentially be start with capital.
0: And so so the the slowly but surely, the, the wheels will turn towards an orientation of motivating more capital to go into the investments that are genuinely impactful but you're saying Imogen that there's still some... To-
2: They're not necessarily genuinely impactful right the standardization and commoditization of ESG particularly when it's run by you know, the largest institutional investors COF, BlackRock COF is not necessarily going to result in the greatest almost innovative outcomes the danger of a regulatory environment that is sort of comfortable to the asset management industry is that you end up standardizing and you take away the innovation and you take away potentially the alpha as well.
0: But I think imagine this is like the growing pains in any industry as as it goes from niche to mainstream is, is that they're growing pains. And when you getting to the scale that impact investing and sustainable finance have gotten to uh, necessitates that uh, some of the more bespoke artisanal approaches uh, don't work at the scale of a, of a BlackRock, if you will. And uh, and so I think that how, how does this industry grow up uh, and mature in a way that uh, still allows for. Uh, the, those who are deep into impact investing, who who want to, you know, who are focusing on the hardest to reach enterprises uh, globally to 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 get and drive resources towards to, to serve the the most difficult markets there are uh, in in a world that is you know the McDonaldization of of impact at at, at a big scale.
2: Yeah, but I don't think that's really the issue. I, th- I think that's always been an issue for impact, and I think that question of scalability, like. The, the issue that impact investing had is, yes, you do these bespoke, bespoke tiny things that, again, make your, you know, philanthropist feel good, but it doesn't actually scale to any meaningful outcome. Right. So the, the, the advent of institutional capital and more capital coming in is meant to have a transformative effect that like we can actually achieve the sustainable development goals. We can actually, you know, transition to a clean energy economy that requires capital and that requires scale. What. Is con- what is of concern is that what becomes acceptable as ESG investing is not actually transformational. It's just business as usual, dressed up as something else. And I think that it is understandably hard for the Black Rocks and the Brookfields and the Blackstones of this world, even the TPG, also the TPGs of this world, to truly, you know, pivot to something that is more transformative, more sustainable, and really achieves, you know, the change we want to see in the world. And what I'm saying is the danger is that regulation standardizes what the asset management community and commoditizes what the asset management community is doing, rather than opening up space to push for greater change and greater innovation. And you're right, that is the natural process of things. But I think the problem here is like this shouldn't be business as usual. And it's that that's the issue, because not being business as usual requires people to give something up and change the way they do things. And people don't generally like to do that.
0: I mean, David, you've often said that, you know, the early days of impact investing, people were concerned about making sure that they optimized for financial return alongside social and or environmental impact, and that the danger might be that uh, we, we uh, were too successful at optimizing for financial returns, but we're not actually having the broader systemic level impact in the world that we think is urgently needed. And so as, how do you square that tension of you know, impact investing might be a good investing strategy, but it might not be achieving the impact outcomes that, that uh, what were the, the initial uh, drive for it?
1: Well, we've had a a, pod, a conversation on this very podcast, I think, which was titled something like, if ESG investing is so great, why is the world still going to hell? And, um, you know, I think that's sort of the challenge that you laid out there. It is interesting how the sort of worm has turned in that, as you say, the the, the discussion around uh, sustainable finance impact investing of several years ago was, you know, could you make a financial return out of it? Or was, was it by definition, you know, a sacrifice or a concession? Um, And I think that question has been answered rather resoundingly uh, in the affirmative that you can make returns. And now the question, as you say, Brian, is the opposite one, which is, can you make impact? And that's, you know, in a sense, a better place for the conversation to be, because as Imogen said, the challenge then becomes on you know, the true leaders who stand out and who don't just tick the box and, and, and adhere to the regulations, but like you say, are innovative and in pushing the boundaries, you know, to show that there are sort of breakthrough, whether they're tech driven or finance driven or business model driven or other kinds of ways to break through sort of bottlenecks in, you know, sustainability that, that have plagued, you know, the the the, the field for, for a long time. I think that we're starting to see the kind of reversals that we talked about, you're seeing all of the, you know, the EVs and the battery companies and all of that electrification uh, cycle be, you know, you know, overvalued now and 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 be the most valuable parts of of the economy and the, and, and of companies and have cheaper access to capital and higher market valuations, not the opposite. Um, we just noticed, uh, Imogen, in, in the context of, of working on your column the other day, looking at the TPG rise S1 for their initial public offering, they're claiming that their impact strategies actually outperformed any of their other strategies. Um, you know, again, you can parse exactly what's included in all that. But there's sort of a notion that um, the impact and the certainly the climate and low carbon party is on. And I think that this year, the onus really is, you know,
0: so what? And we, we were talking uh, before we started recording the podcast today about the the recent uh, very popular Netflix movie, Don't Look Up, which uh, was seen to be an allegory or a satire uh, about p- potential climate change. Uh, but the, 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 the plot of the movie is that scientists discover a comet and that it's hurtling ter- towards Earth. And we have six months uh, to... Uh, to try to take action and and uh one point that i that i think it might be a parallel here is uh that you know there is a government plan to take action and uh tackle this this comment uh but then some very wealthy uh, Silicon Valley type people realized that there uh, would be very good minerals uh, on that cli- on that comet, and it'd be a shame to uh, to just blow it out of the earth, and we'd want to uh, essentially do some asteroid mining of the comet. And I wonder if that's the same thing, the same parallel here with impact investing is that people initially it was we have a plan to save the world, and impact investing is one of the tools we're going to be using to save the world. Uh, but then uh, people, uh, other people, then realized, wait a minute. There's money to be made in impact investing, uh, and so let's let's take over this project and make as much money while we can. Meanwhile, the the comet uh, is, is still uh, hurtling towards us, uh, uh, unabated.
1: Well, it does bear one of
2: the movie for all three people here <laughs> listening. And have not yet watched. who have
1: not yet streamed oh it, it. Have not streamed it on Netflix. But I was going to say it also does bear out one of the um, themes that that Imogen ha- is calling out um, in her. Uh, in her in her column, which is the comeuppance of tech, um, you know, long and ESG darling, but now in the ESG crosshairs, and how that plays out. And as you said, there is a kind of nice villain in that movie. That's a, a, a the quintessential tech tech billionaire mogul. Um, well,
2: and to to your question of sort of what signposts and markets to look for in 2022 and beyond, I do think that sort of tech communications. Um, and media sector poses a series of challenges that the impact in ESG communities have been not really looked at in any depth or dealt with successfully. And I think that there is going, there, there's going to be likely a series of reckonings which will force or should force investors to raise more questions and think more deeply about our relationship with, you know, the Facebook slash metas of this world. And again, we're going into an election cycle that's going to be even more important.
1: It maybe is so obvious that it doesn't bear repeating, but we are in an election year. There's um, more at stake than just the usual midterms in the sense of a real challenge to democracy, uh, not only in this country, but around the world. And that may not generally be considered an impact investing idea, but I think one of the things that we're going to see this year is that investors and others start to recognize that the sort of health of our civic space is, um, is, is indeed an investment uh, consideration, a systemic risk, um, and that there's going to be a sorting out in the same way that the, the tech uh impact that society is going to sort out There's going to be a sorting out of what the corporate role is of what the finance role is of, of of in a sense of of choosing sides and taking a stand and, and standing up and stepping up for democracy itself um and part of that, I think, could be hastened by a kind of um, sense that there can be a a, a a better way and a and a and a way forward that we could uh, get rolling and get behind and, and ride as long as we can, you know, keep the keep the wheels on the bus while we while we do it. So um, I think democracy and and a sort of uh, what we're calling a multi movement engine for for change um, is really going to be actually a, an investment consideration this year as well.
2: But I think that raises you know some pretty interesting and also scary questions around, you know, what happens to democracy when the forces that are holding it up are, you know, the wealthy wealthy billionaires, right? I mean, Peter Thiel has been out there pretty much openly advocating for fascism these days. Like, what is, what is the counterforce to that? And is the, going back to your satire question, like, is the counterforce, like, billionaires because that 's scary right if that that 's what it takes that 's not a comfortable position to be in
1: i 've argued that what it really takes is a super majoritarian agenda that can get you know overcome all of these hurdles to 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 majority rule that we have at least in this country um, and, and attain the sixty sixty five percent popularity that will just wash through roll over those kind of obstacles. Um, yeah, billionaires, some 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 good thinking billionaires might help back all that, but they're not going to get us there. It, it's going to really need um, um, uh, an agenda that people actually you know think is. going But put. my
2: point is, is, you have a bunch of bad thinking billionaires who seem quite happy to drive the bus in the opposite direction and off the cliff. So what is the counterpoint to that?
0: I never said it was going to be easy. But I, I, I think I think that I think the answer that you both are saying a synthesis here is that uh, the billionaires won't save us. Uh, some of them, in fact, might destroy us. But the way to counter them is with mass mobilization and uh, a mass movement.
2: I guess this speaks to the question of is impact investing a mass movement or is impact investing a movement for the for the elite? And I think that again, when you look at trends to watch how like one of the the, the tensions in impact is, is precisely that and we're starting to see that play out in various different ways.
0: Well, and we'll continue to see that play out over the course of this year, but now we're armed with a few signposts to be on the lookout for. So my thanks to both of you. Thank you, David Bank. Thank you, Brian Walsh. And thank you, Imogen Rose Smith.
2: Thank you both.
0: That's going to do it for your impact briefing this week more all day every day at impactalpha.com. Subscribe to get full access to the site and the daily brief. Podcast listeners get $100 off their first year subscription. Go to impactalpha.com/subscribe and use the code BRIEFING100. Thank you for listening and thanks as always to our producer Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of sustainability for the capital markets firm TPI Cap. Until next time, take good care.